Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing and all of our other podcasts over at blisterreview.com. Today on the show, we are going to be getting both an overview and a bit of a deep dive into the current state of the camping industry. So we're going to be talking about who is out there doing it and what exactly people are doing. We'll talk about the different segments and categories of camping and what the most important emerging trends are. And we'll also talk about some of the current problems or challenges in the space and then some of the potential solutions. And so to walk us through this landscape, I sat down recently with Sam Dagenhard, whose perspective on all of this I've come to really value. Sam knows a lot about the camping industry because he's been actively studying it for years now, and he has recently started his own camping company called Campfire Ranch. You can check out Sam's new venture at campfireranch.co. That's .co, not .com. And so let's now go ahead and get caught up on the current state of camping with Sam Dagenhart. Well, Sam, welcome to Blister Headquarters. We've had like multiple conversations now. And once again, I find myself apologizing why this is the first time we've met up in this room. I, I don't have a good excuse. So, you know, apologies and thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks, Jonathan. No, it's awesome to get up here and conversations have been good. Usually a beer or two in hand, but yeah. it's sweet to be here and to look around and see all the skis and stuff. I just kind of got me like chonesing for ski season <laughs> a little bit, but we still got a couple good months of summer left. So I'm excited for that for sure. Well, this conversation, I mean, very much the reason we're recording this is because in so many of the conversations I've been having with you over this summer, you've kind of become my like point into like the whole camping world and like I keep peppering you with these questions about trends and what are we seeing and, and the rest and I finally was just like you know we might as well just bring you on so that everybody who listens to the blister podcast can kind of get in on the conversations that we've been having and so you know here we are awesome yeah but to get started I mean tell us a little bit about your background you Yes, you're like a camping guy, but you are way more interested in sort of the outdoor sports world than than sort of just camping, right? So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. Um, I, you know, I grew up as a outdoorsy kid. Um, I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland, and made my way to Colorado for college. Um, I went to Western State just down the road. Well, when it was Western State, right. names changed a few times. Do you still call it Western State? I still do. Yeah, <laughs> my my diploma has a couple different things on it, or I think I have a couple different versions. But um, I went to undergrad at Western and absolutely loved it. I think I called my parents like after week two and said, you know, bring everything I own. I'm not I'm not going back. Um, I spent all my summers and worked in a skiing bike shop here in town and then was able to kind of start working in um, the marketing world, but I was a business major mm -hmm. and started working with Red Bull when I was in college and just absolutely loved it. Great opportunity to kind of be in the outdoor sports space. I was competing mountain bikes and competing on skis all th throughout college and uh, mostly free ride and downhill stuff. And I just, I just loved that world. I was like, how can I make a career in this? Um, and so I started as a, as, as a student brand manager with Red Bull and went on to then um, get a job after college, moved to California. I lived in LA for a few years working with Red Bull, kind of working specifically on their events, sports and motorsports team and got to travel all over the US, um, a huge range of projects. And then moved uh, back to Colorado, but on the front range um, to be the sports manager of the Rocky Mountain region. And I managed, uh, you know, we had 27 athletes, 85 events each year, and we did some awesome stuff. It was a lot of fun. Every All the content, um, all the athlete relationships, all the um, event events that we'd produce, um, including some big ones like Red Bull Rampage and things like that. And so I just kind of got full on, full bore outdoor industry, action sports, and just, just ate it up. And then I ended up coming back to school. I went to Western for graduate studies. I got my MBA in the outdoor industry, just graduating um, a few months ago in the first cohort of that program, which is super awesome. And I pretty much took that class or took that, that degree as a way for me to step outside of 
the action sports world specifically and, and like the Red Bull world and get more rounded in the outdoor sports world. And that's where my personal passions really lie. But I wanted to figure out, could I start a business? Could I learn to be an entrepreneur in this space and solve some problems that I was seeing in the industry and get my hands dirty? But, I, you know, I had this like safety blanket of Red Bull for so long. I needed I need some kind of jumping off point. And that's where that grad program um, took me and was able to help start my own business. Yeah. Were you that kid who from a pretty young age was doing the like, someday I'm going to start my own business? I was not that guy. As entrepreneurship has kind of just become more and more of this thing, I guess I'm always just more curious if maybe that seed got planted earlier for you than it did for me, or was this kind of a thing where you saw an opportunity and then you're like, maybe I could do something interesting here. Which, which version? Yeah. Good question. Um, I don't think I realized what I wanted to do until I looking back per se, but looking back, I, it was very clear. I knew what I wanted to do. Like my, the ways I, the way I acted, the jobs I took, the behaviors I, um, I followed. And, you know, I, I think the number one thing is I started early in scouts uh, as, a, as a boy scout and eventually to be an eagle scout and you get a lot of independence and leadership at a young age in scouts um, which i'm very thankful for because all the way down to the simple stuff of like okay you know scouts you guys want to go camp this weekend you know it's up to you where are you guys going camping like you tell us you google it you do the research you find out how much it costs per night you build the budget you build the food menu i'll all these things that parents usually do that in scouts is like you had to do and i mean we're eight, nine years old, yeah. trying to figure this stuff out. And so as I got older, I kind of just enjoyed doing that kind of being the self-starter of the group or taking the initiative to like plan these things. And I realized like, if you took the time to plan it, you could have a lot of fun and it's exactly what you wanted to do. And so as I got into high school and then onto college, I just kept with that mentality, I started our ski and snowboard club in high school and then um, helped kind of start and maintain um, mountain sports at Western um, with Eric Friesen and Jason Holton and a couple other guys here in the valley. And it, it just I started all of a sudden realized, like, I love to plan. I love to plan events. I love to host. <laughs> I love to like build experiences. I love when people join those experiences and they have a great time. And I can kind of like look back and like, well, I helped helped kind of make that uh, make their trip or make their, their day or make their evening or whatever it is. And I realized that when I got to Red Bull and I was producing events full time that it was like, Oh man, I've been, I've meant to do this. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I look back at my mom and I'm like, Oh, my birthday parties were crazy. And she designed like these crazy cakes and themed them out. And I'm like, Oh, I know totally where I got it from. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny to look back. I'm like, my dad's not that planner. My mom is a hundred percent that person. Huh. Yeah. So I've, I look back and I'm like, Oh, thanks mom. Like we come from the same cloth for sure. <laughs> We're going to talk in a bit about kind of what you're up to and working on, but really, as I kind of started this conversation, I thought it would be just quite interesting for our audience to kind of get a bit of a state of the union on camping and maybe camping in the time of COVID and just aside from COVID or maybe because of COVID, some of the trends that we're seeing in I mean, what's kind of a monster category, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, this is a big space in a kind of an industry unto itself. And so let's kind of give people that overview. To get started, I figure it would make some sense to define some terms, some of which I presume some people will have heard. Maybe there will be some new ones. But if I gave you the very broad task of kind of telling us what are kind of the most important or some significant terms in this industry of quote unquote camping, what would you come back with? Yeah, uh, I think that's important. I mean, I, as a camping guy and just an <laughs> outdoor person in general, some of this seems like so normal to me or yeah. I've heard it for 20 years. But for a lot of folks that the, the types of camping make it just as, make it more confusing yep. um, and, and just the, the whole world of camping, like what is what and what am I doing when I go here and what does your campground really offer, et cetera. So there's, I'll start with kind of the most basic form of camping and that is, it goes by a few different names. It could be dispersed camping, um, which tends to confuse people because it takes a little bit more to think about. Uh, primitive camping, it's the same thing. Uh, boondocking, backcountry camping. Now this can happen both in a vehicle or without a vehicle. I would say the majority of this is happening with a vehicle where you're driving into public land somewhere. It happens a lot more out west than it does in the East Coast um, just because of this 
amount of public land we have and the access we do. On the East Coast, it's harder to find these areas. But that's really the the most basic form. There's no amenities. There's, you know, there's a rock fire ring, if that, a clearing in the along the side of the road, no directions, no signage, you know, finding information about it's very difficult um, online. And it's taking place, you know, 95%, I would say, uh, on public land. Yeah. Um, whether that's Bureau of Land Management, um, National Forest Land, or in some cases, but not as frequent, um, state land. And just to be clear on that, this basically just means you're going out by yourself or with a friend or two, and you're just pitching a tent or something wherever. Yeah, that's, yeah. Okay. Or sleeping in your vehicle or, yeah. yeah, but, you know, you shouldn't expect bathrooms. You shouldn't expect yep. cell service. You know, you're going to have to go. 10, 15, 30 miles off of the highway to get to a permittable spot, you know, where you're legal. And that's a, that's a big challenge with it is you have to know you're legally on the right piece of land. You're not on someone's private property because it's, it's the user's right, the user's responsibility to know where you are. Um, it's not the landowner's, you know, responsibility to post signage. It's a good idea, but landowners don't have to do that. I mean, you can be way in the backcountry and um, own some land and it's, um, it's on the person visiting or on on the person traveling to know where they are. So we've got primitive yep. or dispersed. Yeah, we can call it primitive. Let's work with that okay. that, that uh, definition. Yeah. Then where do we go? So from there, the next step up is, is the most simple campgrounds you can think of. These are generally what we call public campgrounds, operated usually by the National Park Service, National Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management, state parks, state trust land, things like that. Um, these campgrounds are kind of bare bones. They're you know, developed facilities that have an entrance and an exit. They generally have bathrooms. They have picnic tables and fire rings. Um, all of them can be slightly different, but these are generally what you'd see there. They're going to have designated parking spots or camp spots uh, that are numbered. Some of these you can reserve in advance online. Others are walk-up only. Some are staffed, some aren't staffed, um, but they're pretty bare bones. Um, generally, they range from anywhere from about $10, $15 a night to, you know, in a, in a national park, they're a little bit more that can be like 50 60 dollars a night in, in some you know high demand national parks yeah. yeah and it's you know these are these are interesting because you have you have some uncertainty uh, you, you can reserve them in advance but just like any kind of permit that you would have in public land it's like a very set system it's six months on the dot to the day you check in mm-hmm. you can reserve and so you, if you want to get some of these high demand spots you have to be on your computer six months in advance at midnight ready to click book now and that demand is, I mean, it's crazy people are doing that. That's how much the demand is for six months out for even just a Friday or Saturday night. But that's how you have to plan if you want to reserve. You know, less popular spots, you know, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're trying to reserve, that's what you're looking at. And then, you know, if you get walk, if you get the, um, the walk-up opportunity, that can be great. But let's say you're on a road trip and yeah. you're driving 10 hours to get to this campground and you have no idea you have a camp spot when you get there. I mean, sweet if you do, but if you're rolling at 10 p.m., it's all taken. Now what? Yeah. Okay. I think that's pretty clear. Yep. Where do we go next? Okay. So next would be the private campground landscape. And when I say private campground, I mean privately owned and operated. These can be on leased land they can be on owned land. They can be in partnerships, but these are private businesses that generally have some kind of name. They offer some scale of amenities. Um, a lot of, you know, an RV park would be considered a private campground, KOA, a private campground chain, for example. You know, these are, they're all over the country. Probably have, everyone probably has one of these in their community or nearby. There's, I think there's about 3,500 private campgrounds in the United States, something like that. And they, they totally range. You can see Ones that are almost at the level of a resort or, uh, you know, kids park where there's water slides and multiple pools and lazy rivers and you name it all the way to, to pretty simple um, semi backcountry private campgrounds that are more similar and feel to the public campground, but they're still privately owned and operated. And then I think there's my understanding is we've got maybe one more category to talk about here. So we've gone from primitive camping, primitive campgrounds to public camp grounds to private campgrounds and then is there like a fourth thing we should know kind of as yeah. we're divvying up this uh-huh totally guy? so i would call it like a 4.4 and a 4.5 yeah. maybe yeah. um number four would be what's called uh, glamping or glamp grounds and there's a bit of a blend between private campgrounds and 
I'm going to call them glamp grounds for the sake of our conversation, but there's a bit of a blend between private campgrounds and glamp grounds. And that is, uh, glamp grounds are really providing a luxury outdoor experience. And that can be all into the spectrum, but generally sits at a price point and experience point that is closer to a hotel than it is to camping. Yeah. Um, it's called glamping, glamorous camping. Um, but glamping to all together is, you know, you're probably looking at paying a hundred or 200 or $300 a night, similar to a decent hotel. Yeah. You're getting a very unique experience, which is cool. Whether it's a canvas tent or a teepee or a small cabin, um, you know, something along those lines, but generally the amenities are very focused on providing services for for guests, not providing like the amenities for guests to, to do things themselves. So in some glamp grounds, you can't even cook your own food. Um, you know, it's catered and there's set times and they start the campfire and it's a group community campfire and that's it. And some have bathrooms in them, some don't. Um, some have, you know, brand name furniture, things like that, all inside a tent, for example. So it can be pretty high end. Um, yeah. Some some of the the highest, you know, the most luxury places are, you know, can be nearly a thousand or more, more than a thousand dollars a night. Um, if they're really, really done up. Again, there's a spectrum here, but almost like an all-inclusive resort experience, mm -hmm. except you don't go into your private room built up with walls. It's like there's a TP or canvas yeah. tent type of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Sometimes your meals will be taken care of and sure. like, and okay. Yeah. So, and it, it can depend on the location and the brand, but that's probably been the biggest immersion in camping or the innovation in camping that's happened really in the last 40 years or so. Private campgrounds have been about as sophisticated as things get. Um, we saw developments in kind of the family amenities, the water slides and pools and yeah. golf carts and, you know, activities at a private campground. The new, you know, that was probably mostly in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. That's when that was happening. And then when you look at today, glamping is is the hot thing. Um, but it's it's got the price point, too. And I think that's that's worth remembering when you when you think about what's happening in the customer side of camping, like who's camping. Mm -hmm. Glamping's cool, it's hot, but it's expensive. So glamping is a term that the operators in that world like, or is that viewed as like a pejorative term, which might be saying more about me in asking <laughs> that question than, but like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know if there's like, no, this is hot and trending, so we are absolutely branding ourselves as a kind of glamping outfit or if that is kind of a pejorative term that they would try to steer away from? That's a good question, yeah. What good question, think? yeah. Um, it's a double-edged term for sure. Those that are doing well in glamping and in that segment and they understand who their customer is very clearly, 100% embrace the word glamping. Yeah. Um, they have no problems with that. They use the word luxury. They use the yeah. word hotel in comparisons. Like they want to capture that market that's otherwise gonna maybe spend at the Four Seasons, Yeah. but heck we can get the whole family in this cool teepee thing and like i can sleep on a you know a brand name mattress with actual sheets and i have wi-fi like that's not that far off yeah um so they they fully embrace it now when you look at the broad segment of people who camp and like to get outdoors i think it, that's where you start to talk about that double-edged um term is that you know as as an avid outdoorsman you know you might not catch catch me assume you know under the word glamping like no way am i going to go glamping like that doesn't that's not my brand yeah and i think that is definitely clear when you look at who's glamping and who's not glamping um you know you might get dragged there with a significant other or a family trip or something like that but generally they know the good companies know who they're to marketing to and they know the word glamping resonates with them and they're they're totally okay with using it yeah i have another category and this you and i have actually never spoken about so I don't know if this kind of fits or not, but we've never talked about overlanding. Yeah, good, yeah, good point. Yeah. And so would that be seen as a segment within camping or do we put that somewhere in its own? So yeah, overlanding is is a is another trend in the outdoor industry i should say um and i, I would consider it camping or camping focused it's it's a lot about travel and camping generally folks are spending one to two nights um 
in different places. Um, you know, the, it's a very mobile experience. And what overlanding is, it essentially is sleeping in or on or with your vehicle in some <laughs> way, right? Uh, it's a little bit more than van life, which most people probably are familiar yeah. with now. It's more of this, um, I want to drive off road, get to go over this mountain pass, sleep at the top, but not you know, I don't even get out of my car to sleep if I don't want to, um, to set up my, my rig. And to do that, you need a lot of support gear, um, to kind of stay off the grip. It's like they're, they are primitive campers. They're camping in primitive areas generally, and they're road tripping to get to these spots, but they need a lot of, they like the equipment. Like it's, it's all about the gear. It's all about, um, you know, building out your rig, whatever that be, whether it's like a souped up hat, hatchback or it's a truck or an SUV or a Jeep. Um, you know, you got your spare tires and you got your extra gas tanks and you got your rooftop tent, or maybe you've got a bed set up built in the back, or yeah. maybe you're towing a little off-road, you know, teardrop trailer or something, but it's all about kind of the gear. So you can be totally off the grid. Think like zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Like if it happened, these people would be stoked. Like, <laughs> well, I, I just got to go just, out of my driveway and I'm good for four weeks, you know, just every day they wake up like hoping today's the day. Yeah. The zombie and I, you know, I, I'm, I can speak like that cause I'm one of them. You know, if you see my truck, it's got racks on it and a rooftop tent and it's got all the fly rods and bike rock racks. And, <laughs> you know, I've got water cans and gas cans and, you know, I, and for kind of the same reason, like I want to be able to go wherever I want, whenever I want. And if I decide to sleep there, I'm comfortable. If I decide to keep going, I'm not going to break down. Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> overlanding, they've done a hell of a job, like branding that term. I'd like to submit, you know, against all odds, you know, we could start a movement to try to get this called mobile primitive glamping. You're, you're pretty close. And, yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. M MPG. Yeah. That might be like the urban dictionary definition of overlanding would be what you just said. Mobile yeah. primitive glamping. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Probably get some hate, hate mail. Yeah. About oh, I'm, that. I'm sure. Yeah. So good. You'll get some comments like, oh, I'm so self-sufficient off the grid. That's not glamping. But yeah, anyways, um, you know, and I think there's some interesting trends there in terms of uh, it's similar to van lifing. It's it's a hot topic. Um, it's a self-sufficiency thing. It's a, a minimalist thing in some ways, you know, overland maybe being not, maybe being a little more gear heavy <laughs> than minimalist, minimalistic. Yeah. But these folks are, are spending time in primitive locations or literally parking spots um, looking for a place to stay more so van life. But there's a lot of talk around like what's going to happen when there's so many of these people and ease becomes more, or you've been doing it for two or three years and you just, you just want to not go all the way up that dirt road, or yeah. you don't want to like go totally in the back country because you need to work in the morning, whatever that might be. I think we'll start to see a trend of um, van life and overlanders looking for places where they can stay that are similar to campgrounds, but it's not that KOA vibe. It's yeah. a little bit more than that. Um, and it has a little bit more going on. So yeah, right now they're primitive campers with a lot of gear. Yeah. yeah. I forget where we are in our scale. If I, if I messed this up and we're now at 4.5 or 5.5 <laughs> or something, there's another, I don't know if, yeah, if it doesn't deserve its own category. Yeah. Let's we'll call it, it like the let's call it a category. Yeah. So just to recap, that's primitive camping one, public campgrounds two, uh, private campgrounds three, glamping four, overlanding five. We'll call, we'll call it overlanding and van lifing together for the sake yeah. of our conversation. And then six is campground services or I should call it camping services. Okay. I love to call it, you know, as, as a marketer, I call it camp camping connectors, um, more so than, than apps, but really this is a segment of products and services that have come out really in the last five or six years prior to the big app boom, I mean, smartphones, these were just websites, you know, forums that had information about where to camp, where to go. But these have transitioned into applications where you're either, you know, it's free to join or there's a membership model um, where you can pay more to get more access or exclusive access. And these are tools to find places to camp. That's really the simplest way to put it. They are these these businesses are not looking to or maybe they are down the road but immediately they're not looking to build campgrounds they're looking to connect people who have land with people who want to camp or connect existing campgrounds with people who want to camp and somehow they're making money off of that transaction just like an airbnb or an uber or something like that they're the interface mm -hmm. 
software as a service really. Yep. And um, there's a couple big names out there. Hip Camp's probably the biggest one of them um, people have heard about. Um, they've they've grown from a California only company to be nationwide, and I think even international now, where you can either list everything from your campground on, on this platform for people to find, or even just your backyard and say, I will let people camp in my backyard for X number of dollars a night. You list it on Hip Camp. Someone says, hey, I want to camp in your backyard. They show up, you hand them their toilet paper roll and tell them they can't come inside till, you know, 9 a.m. or whatever it is. Is and, that really like a yeah. thing? Oh, yeah, it's huge. You know, in terms of hip camp, like they're they're definitely the largest out there in this kind of sharing background, backyard sharing world. But it's it really is the Airbnb of of like private land. Yeah, that's the way I would say it. Yeah. Um, some some spots have RVs, some spots actually have cabins and yurts. Others are campgrounds back just straight up backyards. I mean, um, I, my buddy used to list his backyard and um, on hip camp in Venice Beach, and huh. people could tell him he has a tent set up, just sleep in the tent in his backyard and go surf. It's like, <laughs> wow. yeah, and, make, and you'd make a small cut off it. So I guess that makes sense. We're seeing that happen more in like destination totally. locations, not so much in. Uh, yeah, I don't know, outside of Cleveland, Ohio, maybe. Yeah. No offense, Cleveland, but. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I guess unless a big music festival or something was rolling through, but okay, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, people have been doing this for a long time, right? Like, yeah. uh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna move out of town and rent my house, and I'll let people camp in the backyard, or um, maybe I'll advertise my driveway for an RV spot because there's a music festival or a big yeah. race going on or something. Yeah. So that's, I wouldn't say the behavior is totally new, but it's becoming more acceptable because there's this app and this interface. Yeah. Um, the other side of the the camp camping services is like locator apps. And these are more, they aggregate campsites, whether they're primitive, public, private, you know, van life spots, whatever it might be. And they aggregate them into a, a big database and it's a map software. You can have a profile, you can, you know, you can't book anything or maybe you can for certain sites, but it's like find where to go, how far away is it, what amenities are here, information that's hard to find in all in one place, really. Otherwise you're just kind of digging through the mass, you're Googling for hours to try and find where to go. So the, there's these aggregators. Um, the Dirt's one of them. They're based down out of Telluride, I believe. They're the largest one right now. Um, Hip Camp's starting to kind of add some of that to their service. Uh, Recreation.gov even, uh, which is managed by the federal government. Any any federal facility um, is listed on there, whether you can book online or not. So you can kind of search for these things. But yeah, it's, it's these services. Harvest Host is a cool one. They these are um, designed specifically for wineries and breweries that have mm. enough space where they could allow RVs to come in and, and stay a night or two. Um, but then they take advantage of the brewery or um, winery or distillery service that's there as well. So it's kind of like stay and play type thing. Um, so that's a new one. Mm. Glamping Hub is another big one out there. But yeah, these are really app services. They don't they don't own the land. They're not trying to develop campgrounds. They're trying to connect existing providers with interested customers. So we've just kind of laid out like these six different segments. One, do you have a sense of what camping industry folk, how are you guys talking about like the size of the camping industry, whether in terms of annual participants or amount of dollars going to this year? And then the related question of kind of these six segments we've talked about, are one or two of them like the massive dominant sectors, right? And like they're huge and the other three or four are much, much smaller by comparison. Like how would you break down this world? Yeah, uh, I kind of like my gut. And then there's some research out there that's been floating around or getting better as, as years have gone. I mean, we're kind of in the data age, so this stuff is happening. In the US, there's 78 million camping households. So if you think of a household of four, you know, you can kind of do the math there, but it's about 62% of the entire U.S. population considers themselves a camping household, which is huge. Um, and that's a massive driver of, of spending in the United States. And if you look at the outdoor industry as a whole, and I'm sure you've heard these numbers, the eight, 887 billion yeah. outdoor industry metrics that, you know, I'm sure will get updated in a few years, but I think the majority comes from camping. Um, cause you got travel, you got gas, you got, you know, pit stops, you got groceries, you yeah. got, any sport you can think of, you can attach to camping. So really, if you if you look at camping as a blanket, it's like the largest segment of the outdoor industry. Um, in terms of behaviors and where people go, um, it's a little different. I mean, the the most researched outside of I, I guess I could break this down one more one more way. So in 
the actual places you can camp today, if we look at those like f six areas, the data is not in the same six that I look at, but you can factor this way. So state and national parks, 43% of camping visits happen at state or national parks. That, that's that number two public campground yeah. segment. 25% um, happens at private campgrounds. That's like number three. Um, and then backcountry or primitive land, 25% um, happens backcountry or dispersed or primitive camping, um, all those terms being synonymous. And then, you know, the next one is glamping and the numbers kind of shift as you go through every year, but they're saying, you know, rough numbers, like 60% of like leisure travelers say that they have glamped before. Now, I think some of that is like people categorizing glamping as just like, oh, I went camping and they camped out of my car yeah. and called it glamping, you know, when they self-identify like that. But, you know, and to boil that down further, like millennials, these younger generations, uh, millennials say 48% of them have glamped ever, which those are huge numbers. Yeah. Uh, again, I kind of question that a yeah. little bit because there's, there's not that many glamping businesses out there. I mean, they're popping up everywhere, but yeah, I think there's a little bit of self-identifying you know, I don't know, confusion there, but yeah, it's, you know, camping's huge. <laughs> There's a lot of people Turns out there. Camp. Yeah. Camping's thousands huge. and thousands of campgrounds around the country. Like I mentioned, there's, you know, 3,500 or so private campgrounds in the United States. And those, that's privately owned businesses around, around the country. For some obvious reasons, we've been pretty United States centric on this. If we brought it out to like North America or start bringing Europe in or South America, do you have much of a handle? Like is the North American market, say, much bigger relative to the European market, or you think it's maybe pretty in line if we start bouncing to other continents and countries? Yeah, depending on how you identify the word RV, recreation vehicle, I think the U.S. is very different. We have a huge RV market. And when I say RV, I'm not talking about vans and overland, whereas in Europe, they might consider RV or recreational vehicle to include those things because yeah. um, there are a lot of camper vans and things like that in Europe, um, New Zealand, Australia, things like that. Um, even in the kind of the Norwegian aspect or, you know, the um, Scandinavian countries of Europe, there's a little bit more of that there. But if you look at recreational vehicles, America is the epicenter. I mean, we have massive motorhomes. Those industries are huge. They're made and designed here in the United States. I mean, you see it right here in the valley. There's huge honking motorhomes everywhere. Um, in Europe, you don't see that. And so we have parks, private campgrounds designed for these facilities. And I think that's what makes us so different mm -hmm. is we've built our camping world or our camping um, landscape to, to fit our, our toys mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, so there are campgrounds in Europe that, you know, accommodate small RVs and things like that, but a lot of tent campers, a lot of backcountry, um, you know, kind of mountaineering and, and kind of in the bush type stuff. And then the glamping thing is actually stolen from Europe, kind of Europe and Africa and the safari side of things. Mm -hmm. That makes um, sense. Yeah. Right. That stuff's been around for ages, yeah. um, but kind of, okay, well, there's a far camp in, you know, Zimbabwe. Like, why yeah. can't we do one in Yellowstone? Uh -huh. Um, and that's really where that stuff started coming from, stealing it from Europe and, and those countries bringing it over. So glamping is kind of a thing and kind of unique, unique lodging experiences in Europe that's kind of new for us here in the U.S. So I think in, in a long, in terms of time, some of that might level out, but I still think we'll always have like the, the biggest bulk of RVs here in the U.S. and Canada. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's a really solid overview, I think. Yeah, a lot um, of info there though. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about some trends then. I mean, we kind of already maybe have, but like we've laid out kind of this chessboard, as it were, with these different segments and the rest. What things glamping is apparently on the rise, but what else are you seeing or are intrigued by in terms of, I don't know, emerging trends? Yeah, that's a good point. There, we talked about a lot, as you mentioned, um, in terms of kind of the, some of the businesses and the behaviors that are happening. Uh, two other categories that are worth considering is what are like product brands doing related to this yeah. this space, and what are what are like what's happening in the government side of things, like the management of public lands as a result of so much so much camping and so many things happening. So I'll start with that um, product brands. I mean, it, it's been pretty clear that product brands have gotten gotten hold of this this boom. I mean, more people want to camp year after year than they ever have. Um, we're starting to see, you know, it's like something like 70% of people camping today want to camp next year more. 
like those are huge, huge stats in any industry. Like, oh, these customers want to come back and do it more. Like, shoot, I need to make more products or I need to, you know, at least amp my inventory up. Mm-hmm. But you're seeing products change. You're seeing lower price points get introduced. You're seeing more bright colors. You're seeing, you know, more age specific targets, um, be it tents that appeal to teenagers, you know, that aren't just the, the bland like Spider-Man on them or what? I mean, not, uh, not so much like that young, but more, you know, you go to a music festival and you stay in a cool designed tent and then you go camping in the outdoors and you're like, why is my tent like gray and green? Like I want like a purple and yellow and pink tent. Like that's, I, I think that's cool. And so you're seeing like a wider, huh. uh, you look at the brand like Cotopaxi, I'm sure you're yeah. familiar with like their packs are wildly successful and they're awesome recycled, you know, fabrics from different things, but they're wild colors and they really hit it off with that like millennial and Gen Z segment. Um, you're seeing collabs happen between brands that have that kind of fun vibe and brands that have never had that fun vibe. Um, Big Agnes and Burton mm-hmm. did a great collaboration in the past few years where Burton designed the cool patterns that went on their easy, low, low price two man tents. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you got this like cool rad collab tent and that you didn't have before. And then you're seeing them kind of jump into the educational piece, which I think is cool, making a lot more content and marketing around what to do. I mean, from the basics, it could be like I saw um, in REI's magazine just the other week, uh, they did an article about camping basics and I learned some things in it, Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was really cool as an experienced camper. But some really basic stuff you don't think about, like how to choose a good campsite when looking at a campground map online. Like... Shoot, I wouldn't have thought to probably write about that, but it's pretty useful for someone who's never done it before. Yeah, what, what site's near? Like, yeah, that blue stuff's water. And like the host, when it says H, it means it's the host. And if you're going to be loud, you don't want the campsite next to the H. Like, I mean, it's pretty cool insights. Yeah. So you're seeing brands start to step up and, and look at things holistically, not just in what they're selling, but how they welcome those customers in. Because in general, camping is a pretty low barrier of entry. But yeah. if you think about this primitive segment or booking six months in advance or dealing with these walk-ups, like that's pretty daunting for a lot of new folks to the outdoors. Like, wait, you're telling me I got to drive four hours to Crested Butte when I get here and it's dark and my phone doesn't work and I just want to like, you know, get out of the rain or whatever it is. I still have to find a campsite. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I, I, it's good to see brands starting to jump in. They might not be owning campgrounds and building campsites, but they're starting to focus on that segment, which is cool. Hmm. Um, so that's really what I think, you know, in terms of products and brands that are innovating, and there's a lot out there. Every, everyone's doing it. You know, the North face who we work with, um, they have a whole new line, two new lines of tents, the eco trail series, which is recycled materials at a decent price point in, in their sleeping bags and tents. Um, they also got like the homestead series, which is designed for car campings where you don't have, you know, it's a single layer tent, no fly, but it's still waterproof, just ease of ease of use type stuff. And they're all in brighter colors, you know, for example. So it's really funny talking through this, right? Like on the one hand, we seem to get hammered and I don't think incorrectly with studies and reports and in media and the rest with like, we're all just addicted to our phones or like kids only wanna play video games and like won't leave the house. And yet it sounds like we're also seeing an emergence and uptick on people wanting to get outside and maybe actually getting outside. And then, of course, with the whole glamping thing, it's like, well, we can maybe still be on our phones and play video games while we're sort of kind of camping, something like that. So it's just I I don't have um, a great punchline to this other than the observation of it's kind of interesting to think about. And it sort of makes sense, like as we are, many of us sucked in more and more to devices and operating online, you know, that that maybe so and yet that also triggers this need and desire to get away from that and kind of move into you know camping it writ large as a kind of escape so i guess that kind of makes sense yeah yeah um, you know i i think you're right there's it's a little juxtaposition you're kind of like ah you know i see teens on the phone more than ever and maybe you know social media has such an influence on that but if you think about it it's like if you really want to get that cool photo and post it, you got to get to that cool place. Mm-hmm. And if you go to that cool place, you're already there. And I mean, maybe previous to good products, staying there was like, nah, 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 I'm not doing that. But now with better products that are that speak directly to that customer and focus on providing value for them, all of a sudden it's like, well, I can get that Instagram photo and I can camp there. 
<laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, let's try this. The the other thing, here's here's my like maybe not that hot of a take. In the next five to ten years, I think we are going to, as a big generalization, but as a society, really start to realize that like while these amazing phones we all have and these amazing laptops we have while these things open up a whole world of knowledge and connectivity that is truly unbelievable and remarkable in so many ways there are huge problems and dangers with all this and so while you were just talking about people like today wanting to go to the cool place to get the shot for instagram I think we will just as a society realize like the phones aren't going anywhere. They're with us for yeah. good. But I think we will start being more conscientious and people will be like, I'm off the grid for the for the weekend or I'm going to try to start being off the grid by 5 p.m. every single night or whatever that time is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. And we've already seen the studies that are like, unmitigated perpetual use of all these remarkable machines it's just not the best for us yeah so cool. in that sense yet another reason i think to like i don't think the camping thing is going away right if we're, we're thinking about just what's the trajectory of that category i'm not like we've hit a high point here and it'll probably start tapering off i don't believe that at all no i, I think you're spot on jonathan like we camping's been around for i mean you know, in a, yeah, in a business sense, <laughs> yeah. where people have been making money off of it, or it's been offered as a service by someone to, to make a profit for over 70 years, 75, 80 years almost. And I don't think you're going to see that go away. Yeah. I think it's going to continue to shift and change. But, yeah. you know, the past 40 years, we saw only, almost no changes, just growth. Um, camping has been recession proof. Uh, it's boomed. It boomed in 2008, 2009. Hmm. It's booming right now. And one of the craziest times we've ever experienced, at least in my lifetime, um, second to the 08, 09, you know, recession. And it's, I don't think you're going to see it slow down. And I think, uh, it's going to be on both product brands and service brands and folks in the outdoor industry and folks that have nothing to do with the outdoor industry to try and address and adapt and and target the, that whole aspect of camping. I mean, there's so many avenues from the road trip to the, where you get your supplies, to how you shop, to when you get there, to when you leave. I mean, there's all these avenues to that customer journey that can be explored. And I don't, I do not see it slowing down. Um, my whole life, it's just been getting busier and busier. So, All right. Any other trends or hot topics that you think we ought to be aware of? Yeah. And I kind of mentioned, you know, the government side, the management aspect. And so I, I figured I should probably touch on that in, in this camping thing, you've got the public campgrounds and they really can't be overrun because there's only so many spots, right? So you can, they can fill up and they're busy and they're jammed and maybe they can grow a little bit, but they're, they're full. And so people leave that campground and then where do they go? They usually divert back into kind of that like option one, the primitive dispersed camping, or they started there and ended up in a campground and vice versa. Um, but what we're seeing is a pretty incredible impact on public lands here in the Gunnison Crested Butte Valley. This has been the busiest season I've ever seen, but I know we're not unique across Colorado. This is happening all over the place. It's happening in Moab. It's, it's happening all over the West where we have a ton of public land. And I'm sure it's happening on the East as well. Um, even in the, the limited public land that they have, but how are we going to take care of these places and not love them to death is a really serious conversation. And no one has a great answer right now, hmm. you know, and, and at the side of it, like, so spare my personal opinion, you know, the government's not great at solving, you know, challenging long-term problems in my opinion. So how, how are we going to trust the government to like maintain and manage public lands without adequate funding and without, you know, the, the flexibility of a private business might have. So what's going to happen? And you're going to see increased impacts like you're seeing now. You're going to see what I call is kind of like the and there's other folks in the industry that are using this term, but like the closure, closure is management topic. And mm -hmm. that's for me really concerning because, you know, as we have, we have an amazing country where we have so much public land and so much access. We're really the only place in the world that's like, that's truly like this. But if our reaction is, ah, there's impacts, we are either going to stick to the traditional methods of mitigating those impacts, like putting up more information kiosks, which I mean, 
get with the times, right? It's 2020. People don't stop and read books to learn about things. They get on podcasts and they watch videos and they, you know, navigate websites. Yet we're using websites on the National Forest from 1995 to find information. It's difficult. I mean, even if you spend hours on there, it's hard to find what you're looking for. Can you have a fire? Shoot, I I don't know. Where do I find that? So, you know, there's concern with addressing these overcrowding issues um, and trusting the government to sort it out. You know, I think there's opportunity in that for private businesses as well. And I'm one of those people. But um, yeah, the, the closure is management thing is it's a hot topic. Uh, I worry about it a lot, yep. you know, because it doesn't go back, right? You close something down, rarely does, yep. does it reopen at some point. And, you know, so just a few days ago, Dave Ox, who is the head of the Crested Butte Mountain Bike Association, he's the executive director. He was sitting exactly where you are. And we were having this kind of conversation, kind of a state of the union about like trail systems and yeah. trail networks everywhere. And in talking a bit about like what we're seeing here in the Gunnison Valley. And, you know, he was kind of telling a similar story that, you know, right now, like, trail use is kind of up everywhere. And on the one hand, like I'm psyched about that. And yet it's like, man, we have got to up our education level, all of us. And as we've got, especially new people coming in, we've got to like, we don't have the luxury anymore to be like, well, yeah, maybe we'll get around to kind of getting some of this information, Mm -hmm. basic fundamental Mm -hmm. information out to, to new folks. It's like, on the one hand, I'm pro people being outside and on trails, and I'd rather have more of those folks out than fewer. But that's going to all fall apart if we're not, we in the industry aren't doing it right to go get in front of those people and find them, go to where they are and get that education out. Because I think you're right, both in terms of trail systems and in terms of campgrounds, we will see closures. Totally. If we're getting too many people and we're not telling them how to responsibly recreate in these different, whether it's trails yeah. or camps. Yeah, you got it. It's, it's an onus on both the user and and the brands that either make the products or provide the services. Yep. I mean, you make good outdoor gear that makes you know mountain bikes less expensive yep. and easier to ride and for beginners. And all of a sudden you got more people on trails like, well, it's absolutely the responsibility of some of those businesses to step in and start um, paying, you know, not paying to play, but like looking at strategies, how are we going to help make this sustainable? Yeah. yeah. And you know, that's, that's a hot topic. I mean, no one's got the great answer right now. You look at kind of the North America model of conservation and you might be at a, and I think I say that more in terms of wildlife conservation. Um, you might, I think we might be able to glean some, um, insights from that world. Um, how do, how do we fund and manage wildlife around, you know, around our country? Well, it's pretty, pretty awesome system that's been built and it has its quirks and its failures here and there, but, you know, states manage it and there's fees and, you know, hunting and fishing pays into that and that's where they get their funding. And then they're able to maintain those populations and pay biologists and et cetera. And so it's, um, how do we look, do we look at that and steal from that industry and say, okay, you know, there's season passes for trail networks now. It's not that it's not a new idea. It exists already in parts of the country. Um, but yeah, are there, are there season passes? Is there a registration card for your mountain bike? Like there is for your motorcycle. Cause mm-hmm. you better believe it. Motorcyclists, um, you know, moto riders, they're paying for trail maintenance. Yeah. They've been paying for trail maintenance for 40 years. So when does everyone else step, step in when in fact they might be using it, even using that resource even more. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a debate, you know, no one wants to hear about paying a, a, a fee to hike. But if you're taking your dog on the trail and you're not cleaning up your trash and you're using and abusing the bathrooms and you just expect that to get covered by yeah. someone and th- those fees, like there are people that do pay for that and including, you know, taxpayers too, but people pay actual fees every year to go do that stuff. So the, yeah, the, the, the models that might come out and the tests, I think we'll start, we'll start seeing them in, after COVID here. I hope, you know, try some stuff out. We got to We got to try some stuff because otherwise we're just going to love these places to death. And it's like, you know, people bark at better trailheads because it means more people go there. I'm like, well, if if you don't have better trailheads, then more people are going to go there anyways, and it's not going to get maintained, and they're going to yeah. close it. So when you're going to see your favorite trails get shut down. Hmm. So yeah, it's interesting. I don't have the answer, um, but that's that's probably where I'm most interested in in the next probably ten years. Like, what's what's going to happen? Um, the way we use public land, how yeah. are we going to evolve? So that actually is a very nice segue into talking more specifically about 
what it is that you are up to these days, right? And like, so tell us a bit more about Campfire Ranch. And again, I think first of all, you've done a really nice job in this conversation and like laying out kind of the landscape. And it's very reflective. It's like a nice synopsis of a lot of the different conversations you and I have had. But it also then, this is kind of fun because you just said like you're like, I'm trying to think through the best solutions and it'll be interesting to see where the world moves. Well, you're not actually just sitting around thinking about this. Like you started a company with some pretty specific principles in mind. And so the business is kind of a response to this emerging and developing world of camping that we're seeing. So tell us a bit more what what you're trying to do with Campfire Ranch. Yeah. Thanks, Jonathan. Yeah. A lot of information we've talked about. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully it came across clear. <laughs> uh, I get real passionate about camping and in public lands and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's a product of all that, but yeah, campfire ranch. So, you know, in looking at this landscape and, and having gone and studied the outdoor industry specifically around camping and, yeah. and use of public lands for recreation, I, I was trying to kind of wrap my head around like, how do you, how do I help? Yeah. Like, how do I get in and, and fix something? And you can't solve every problem with one solution. So I really targeted on camping specifically. And I started looking at about, you know, how, what, what are people that I know that don't camp? What do they need and why don't they camp? And it took me back to those kind of original categories of camping where, you know, I'd go to an RV park with friends and they'd be like, this is lame. There's a bunch of old folks and a bunch of huge RVs were shoved in the back corner. Like we keep getting told to be quiet. Like it just didn't fit. And then, you know, so I would take those same friends to a public campground, you know, in a national park or forest service or something. And we kind of, you know, we, we didn't plan six months in advance. So we played that walk up game and, you know, numerous times we've been shut down and had to go back country camp. But, you know, we'd go to these campsites where, you know, the, maybe the guys or the girls in my group wanted to use the restroom uh, and we didn't have one and we get stuck there and you're like, man, we're paying like 30 bucks a night and we get yelled at like, you know, these camp hosts are like not that friendly. Every time they come by, like we hide our beers, like we're all of age. Why are we hiding our beers? We just feel like yeah. we're not supposed to be there. Yeah. We're breaking some kind of rule. And then the primitive camping thing is awesome. But like, you know, if, if I don't bring everything for my friends, then like, they're not interested. If I don't bring my extra tent, my extra sleeping bag and, or they don't sleep in my rooftop tent or like, I don't set them up. They're like, yeah, Sam, I'm good with like your, your crazy boondock scenario. Like I don't need to do that. Yeah. So there was just this, there's like no place for this next generation, my generation and, and coming to go camping where it's hundred percent for them. It just doesn't exist. And so that's where we, you know, created Campfire Ranch. And uh, our mission is to be the new physical hub for the, you know, future generations, not just Gen Z, but beyond. Like, what's the evolution going to look like to create authentic experiences in the outdoors, but also build a community that supports them in that adventure? Because doing it alone, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. Go camping on your own. It's like going, it's like traveling alone. That's a big jump. Yeah. So yeah, we're building campgrounds for the experience generation. And what those really look like is we're focusing on building campgrounds and top outdoor destinations. Um, it's not glamping. It's not at this level of high luxury. We do everything for you, but it is, it is easier camping. We provide um, both an adventure demo program and an adventure concierge. The adventure demo is where you can try quality outdoor gear on site. You don't need to bring it with you. You can literally show up. We'll help either give you the tent or help you set it up. We've got high quality sleeping bags where you're going to be warm and comfortable. You don't need to go spend 500, 600 bucks to just get out for your first weekend. Yeah. You can spend a hundred bucks over the course of a weekend and camp. And then, you know, our accommodations are focused on tent campers and car campers and van lifers. Uh, no RVs are allowed. We're focused on providing larger campsites so you can bring all your friends. Cause sometimes, you know, people are coming from different places and they take more vehicles than maybe they should, but that's just how it is. Um, we want bigger campsites that allow for those groups to gather. You know, the average group size of the millennials camping is 10. Wow. The largest campsite at a forest service campground is six. So all of a sudden now you're going to find two sites. So we're trying to address some of these challenges and then bringing in new amenities um, where you can take some of the frustrations out of camping. So like a, a camp kitchen that's very similar to a hostel kitchen where you can cook together um, in a communal space, meet new people, use our silverware, use our pots and pans, use our stoves and grill tops. And when you're done, you can just drop them in the dishwasher, leave them in the sink, and we have a cleaning service that takes care of it. Now you're going to pay for those services and we're going to be a little more expensive than a public campground or maybe RV priced, but for tent campers and a private 
campground scenario. I think we'll we'll see people that are interested in that, that aren't that can't afford the glamping level, but want to get out and camp, but are open to trying to break down some of those barriers. Yeah. Um, and our, I mentioned our adventure concierge and didn't go into it, but really that is working with local outfitters and guides at each of our locations to provide incredible outdoor experiences where you can learn, you can go with someone who's an expert and get introduced into rock climbing or mountain biking or rafting or fishing, but in a way that it's, it's not as hoity toity. You don't have to research for days who to go with and what's the best guy. Like we've got those relationships built. So just call us and it's all kind of inclusive stealing that idea from like a luxury hotel world and pulling it into the, you know, for the 20 somethings. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's an accessibility component to this because that's not actually something we talk much about. We kind of did a little bit in terms of glamping, right? Like one of the things about glamping is if you're willing to spend a good chunk of change, you can just show up completely unprepared as it were, right? Mm -hmm. And everything will be there and provided for you. What you guys want to do with Campfire Ranch is like, if I'm a very experienced camper, but I just like the location of one of your spots, like I can roll in, set up, do my thing, meet you. Hey, cool. Nice to meet you. Good night. We're good. But I can also roll in and, and like literally not have any gear, right? Like I can rent a tent and a sleeping bag and everything, right? But it's not going to be at the glamping price point. Sure. Yeah. Yep. You got it. Yeah. Cause not everybody needs that. Yeah. Um, so it's an optional, optional, um, service that we provide, but yeah, you could show up with nothing. It opens up the whole world of airline travel and camping, which I think is really interesting. Um, when was the last time you got on a, pl- a flight and went camping? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't think of the last time I did, uh, maybe to Alaska for a two week trip, but like a hunting trip, you know, it's very specific. Yeah. So I, I think you can, if you you ha- you know you've got the quality gear as an experienced camper, then I'll go try some place new where I I can't drive, can't bring my stuff with me, and I know I'm gonna it's worth it to stay there. Or if I'm a total newbie, um, or even if I'm I just want to be a little more comfortable and my gear's kind of shot, yeah, you can try stuff out or use stuff right right on site, and it's there. You don't have to wait for something to ship to your house, then package it, then bring it in the car, then get home, then repackage it, then ship it back to the rental company. Like it's all right there when you show up and like, we don't even require you to take down your tent. Like we'll take down your tent for you. We'll clean it when we know when we take it down and you can just like walk out on Sunday morning and head home. I mean, how nice is that? Talk about the cleaning component of (laughs) this gear. Like I'm trying to think about like, you got to go, you know, somebody just rented a sleeping bag for a night or two and you got to go now really clean properly six sleeping bags or 10 sleeping bags. I don't know, whatever you're doing. That seems like a job. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a lot depending on uh, the week and what, you know, what people are booking and doing, but yeah, I mean, you've got it. We, we pull a sleeping bag out of a tent. It goes directly into a trash bag, you know, and right now in, in a COVID world, we're, we're doing all of this gloved and masked and, you know, um, alcohol wipes in hand. And so as we, as we gather the gear, the sleeping bags get immediately bagged and they get, I take them down into town and either do a drop service where I drop and get them industrial washed or, you know, I, I drop in the laundromat and do some errands, come back. Um, they go right back into their stuff sacks, which are sealed up. Um, again, gloves and mask while we do that. And then they're ready for the next camper for tents. It's, um, you know, we, we asked to leave the tents up. We start with the fly, wipe all the touchables down, all the zipper areas, all the insides where there'd be moisture from breathing, yeah. put it out to dry, you sweep it out as well, right? Just the normal dirt stuff, not COVID stuff. Um, we got to still, you know, get the tent clean. Um, we do the same thing on the tent body. And then as we roll up again, we're wiping as we roll mask gloves the entire time. So that tent or that whatever piece of gear is, is completely sanitized before camper number two comes in and, and rents it. Yeah. It's a lot of work, but it yeah, is. it's kind of what we have to do. I think, I think regardless of um, COVID, that's the yeah. way we'd handle things. Yeah. And so why not when you start Campfire Ranch, why not just be like, we're going full glamping and it's going to be 400 bucks a night. You know, this is a business, right? Like, why are you like not going after that sort of price point and program Glamping is serving a certain market and I think they're doing a really good job and they're growing in that market and that market is growing too, but it is so much smaller. The person that's willing to spend 200 plus dollars a night to essentially camp um, is so much different than the person who is maybe never camped before. They don't even know what value they're paying for quite yet. And so 
you know, we look at the, some of the stats that are out there and right now, 38% of all camping households are millennials. That doesn't count Gen Z, who's just now 22. As soon as they come into the fold, I expect that millennials and Gen Z are going to be the majority of, of households camping. Now you've got a ton of RV parks that are catering to the baby boomers and older, and they're totally content doing it because they're already sold out and that's totally fine. But there's a massive 32 million plus person market that's sitting waiting to be tapped. That's coming. That's coming. And yeah. there's no go-to place for them. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're trying to build Campfire Ranch to be. So that's really, this is one of the things I thought was really interesting um, in learning more about Campfire is like, you've kind of said, you're like, KOA, man, they're doing what they do and they do their thing. But like KOA is catering to an older crowd. And I maybe you and I are both wrong about this, maybe we're both right, but it's like that wave, that younger wave that's coming up. I This is what I thought was interesting about what you were thinking about. You're like, we're not trying to compete with the KOA. It's its own thing. We, we need see, KOAs, yeah. We see what's coming, you know, sort of now in the next 10, 15, 20 years. And I, I think that's a pretty interesting um, yeah. position to... Yeah, no, you're, you're spot on. I mean, it's like there's room for just more campgrounds yeah. regardless of yeah. who they're targeting. You know, there's inventory issues, there's supply issues and the demand is absolutely there. Now, can you talk to a certain, like glamping is, can you talk to a certain part of that demand and hit the nail on the head? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think we can do that with that larger kind of middle market, new to camper um, segment by by building Campfire Ranch locations. And we've seen that. I mean, we, um, you hadn't asked about this, but we launched our first location this summer, yep. super stoked on. Um, it's here in the Gunnison Crested Butte Valley, um, centrally located just between CB and Gunnison. It's on the Taylor River. Um, a lot of folks might know that here in Colorado, big, big fly fishing area, but just awesome central location. Yeah. And it was a campground for nearly 40 years prior to our management. And we came in under as a concessionaire. Um, the city of Gunnison owns the property and we're working on that property under a contract for services. And we essentially provide our business model on their footprint. And that means, you know, it's rebranded. Um, we have our adventure demo and adventure concierge services. You know, the Campfire Ranch model at about 65, 70% of what I want is happening at that location. Uh, we call it Campfire Ranch on the Taylor. And it's, it's interesting because that campground has barely been full the last few years. You know, it's got kind of some, it's had some more vagabond, vagrant types that have stayed there for longer periods of time, you know, rarely full. We have sold out every single weekend of the year. Huh. We're more than half sold every single day. And the only message we're pushing is that we can camp. You can camp here easier. We've got rental gear for you. We're in a great location. And this is a place for you to feel like it's it's for you. Yeah. And we're seeing 68% um, of our customers are coming from our number one target demographic. And then 38% of our campers are coming from our number two target demographic. So we're seeing it work at the smallest test scale possible. And I mean... It for me the the test is is totally proven. Like we're ready to rumble and ready to to build more of these because I think that segment is absolutely ready for it. They they want something better than KOA and Fort National Forest and National Park. Like if there was good campgrounds, they'd be there. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I've I guess I've been to the spot on the Taylor River a few times now. And actually last time, I think I had just finished up riding Doctors Park and like was like, I'll just roll by and stop and see Sam. Yeah. You happen to be there talking with some people who I think they were just coming in or had just wrapped up a weekend and we hung out there a bit yep, and talked. Yep. But uh, it's a cool spot. And I, it's just, I get really excited about kind of people who are working on projects. It's like, where's that hockey puck gonna be. It's been fun learning a lot about this segment from you and then talking a bit about, you know, how are you going to kind of build this out and the rest. But for now, tell people a little bit about best place to find you guys. And, you know, if they're interested in booking or checking it out, where should they go? Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Jonathan. The best place to find us is our website, campfireranch.co, Colorado, not .com. And, or you can follow us on um, any of the social media platforms at campfire underscore ranch. 
Um, you can DM us and book that way. You can call us. We have a booking engine. You can reserve in advance. We're booking out right now through the end of the season, which is end of October. And yeah, we've got sites available. We're generally sold out most weekends, but you know, our average booking in advance time is six days, which mm -hmm. is awesome. Again, proving our model yeah. and, um, you don't need to, you don't need to think like three months out to get a campsite. Now, you know, we get busy on some weekends, but yeah, you can, you can pretty much pull the trigger a few days in advance and um, we're going to have something for you, um, which is awesome. So we'd love to meet you. Um, and again, you don't have to be, you don't have to be a beginner to come camp with us. You might have friends that are kind of new to the sport or new to that world where it's like, it's actually going to make your life a little easier if you come stay at Campfire Ranch because you don't have to bring all that extra gear for them and, yep. you know, set their tent up for them. Like we got all that. So just come have a good time. And if you are a new camper or you feel like maybe the outdoors hasn't been you know for you think again um i encourage you to come see us and you know if you haven't been able to tell from this podcast like i'm very passionate about providing um, a welcoming experience for for folks and making camping better so i'd love to have the opportunity to provide that for folks out there so yeah come see us um campfireranch.co um and uh, we're, we're booking out through the end of the season you had kind of touched on this early in the conversation. And I, I think just to underscore it, one, if you're talking about, you just got a group of friends and like there's six or 10 of you and it's like, let's all go camping. That doesn't actually work unless you're all kind of on the same level, right? And some people have all the gear and others don't have any. And so this actually is a way to allow, you can bring, I've literally never gone camping before there's a couple of those people in the group and there's some that are like, this is my home. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't be more comfortable outside, you know, sleeping under the stars. Everybody gets to come to a spot. And then the next day, somebody wants to go mountain biking. Yeah. Somebody else wants to go on a hike, whatever. But the camping part of it actually opens up for a kind of mixed group in terms of experience in a way that I think I wasn't totally appreciating either yeah that's a great insight you know you're spot on um it's camping uh, we could say it's it's still camping it's just easier yeah. and that's both for the experienced camper and the newbie camper everyone can come to campfire ranch and have a good time and not have to worry about who am i taking care of this weekend and like am i going to get time for that ride that i need yeah. or am i going to actually be comfortable at night on the sleeping bag um you, you know we've we've got kind of that inclusive experience for all walks of wall walks and experiences of camping um you know and i encourage folks to come out we've had great groups like that um with all levels and everyone can have a good time and on that note i probably need to like very literally let you get out of here and <laughs> yep. go back to make sure that uh there aren't some people coming in that you need to check on or something so yeah totally um we'll wrap for now but uh you and i'll be having more conversations to come for sure and uh appreciate the time and and really i what I'm happy about is like, I do feel like this was a nice kind of distillation of a number of conversations you and I have had. So yeah, for sure. I, hope, I hope those listening feel that way. And uh, yeah, man, good luck. It's going to be fun to see how you grow this. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate the time. Great talking with you. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thanks to Sam for the conversation. And again, you can check out what he's up to at campfireranch.co. And of course, you should remember that you can catch more great conversations over on our other podcast channels, including Off the Couch, Bikes and Big Ideas, and Gear 30. And you can find all of those on our Blister website or wherever you download your podcasts. And then, of course, we will be back right here on the Blister podcast channel next Monday. Now, I also want to say thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode and, you know, Thanks to you for listening. Now, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again real soon.